So I think that also comes with a lot of pressures, this sense I have to prove to myself that I'm somebody, that I'm important, that I'm going to leave my mark rather than our mark coming from the image of God. But I understand, Erica, why it's a struggle for you, because I do think there's something about calling that matters. I don't think we need to abandon this idea altogether that God might have certain tasks for you to do. I like to think of it now more in terms of stewardship, that I think faithful stewardship of my giftings means that, okay, I have this freedom of choice, I have these options, and I have these gifts and experiences God has given me. How do I be a good steward of them? So if I'm a good speaker, it would be maybe a bad stewardship to stuff that down or ignore that or not step into that vocation. Or if I'm really great with children, or if I'm you know a great writer, writer or music, whatever it may be, then how, how can I be a steward of this gift and use it to the glory of God? And stewardship comes with a little bit less pressure maybe to me than like trying to somehow figure out calling because it's about not so much about finding the right answer or the wrong answer, but just about using wisdom and discernment as you go. Welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast by Faith and Gather. I'm your host, Erica Dvorak. Join me and the Faith and Gather community as we become faith-inspired to tackle the messy and embrace the beautiful areas of life. We're going to meet you right where you're at, right when you need it, by helping you live a less stressed, more joy-filled life lived by bold faith and walking in obedience. You have a God-sized calling, but you don't have to choose between your sanity or juggling it all. We'll keep you one step ahead, armed with knowledge to fight your everyday battles and live a life faith-inspired. Because faith is not just a belief. It's a lifestyle. We live in a world with abundant opportunity, wealth, and choices. Yet many of us ask ourselves, why am I so unhappy? In a day where you can have anything at a click of the button, life still ends up being hard. It's not supposed to be this way. Life is supposed to be good and happiness is a given, especially as a Christian, right? So what happens when life with God doesn't align with our expectations? In this episode, Amanda Held Opelt, author of the compelling book, Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of a Blessed Life, challenges us to release some of our expectations and seek God in unexpected places. We explore the notion of finding holiness even in our unhappiness and what it means to lean into our pain rather than seeking quick fixes. We also explore how our aversion to sadness and discomfort can hinder our growth and connection with God. So whether you've questioned the pursuit of constant happiness or felt the pressure of meeting unrealistic expectations, this episode is for you. Listen in as I dive deep with Amanda and explore a new path forward, a path that embraces the complexities of life and reimagines what it truly means to live a blessed life. Hey, Amanda, welcome to the Faith Inspired Podcast. Erica, thank you so much for having me. It's awesome to be here with you today. I am really excited to dive into this topic because it's something that's been on my heart for a while now, really our high expectations of mm-hmm. happiness and this idea of you and your book, the idea of holy unhappiness and really that 
when I saw your title of the book, it really grabbed me and I'm just going to state it. So your book is called Holy Unhappiness, God, Goodness, and the Myth of a Blessed Life. And when I saw that title, I knew that I had to have you on because I have been grappling with this thought of, are we really entitled to be happy all the time? Is what the world is telling us that reach for happiness and, and you know, you'll love your life. Is that is that truth there? And so I'm just so excited to really dive into this topic with you and get to the heart of it. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I've always been a bit concerned that the title might be off-putting to some people that like, you know, who wants to read a book about sadness or a, a, a book that seems to advocate for the honoring of our unhappiness? Don't we just want to, you know, avoid unhappiness at all costs? So I'm glad it actually drew you in and didn't put you off. That's encouraging to hear. Yeah. And I think it really will draw people in because it's something so different Mm -hmm. than what we're seeing nowadays. And I think a lot of us are grappling with that thought of, well, for instance, I'm doing what I'm doing as a living and I, this is my dream job. This is, I'm doing what I'm doing and I I love it, but why, why does it produce unhappiness? Mm -hmm. And so we'll get into things like that because I think it's really, really important. But I would first off just really love to ask you, why this book? Why did you write this book? And what really spurred you on to dive into the the research of holy unhappiness? Yeah. It's a little embarrassing to admit. I've been working on this book for years, like half a decade, probably more. <laughs> um, and I think it's exactly what you just mentioned was kind of the impetus, is that I found myself in the situation where I had basically achieved most everything I wanted in life, right? Like I I had kind of landed this dream job doing international aid work at a Christian organization. I want to clarify, I'm not a proper aid worker myself, but I was doing staff care for aid workers, doing something I really, really loved. I felt super on mission, super motivated, thought I was really doing that kingdom work, was involved in my church and being given opportunities for leadership there. I was married to like a super nice guy. Like I literally married probably the nicest person I've ever met. Things were going exactly as I hoped they had. And yet I was still kind of plagued by restlessness or frustration, weariness much of the time. And I kind of was just plagued by this question I've made all the right decisions and I've done all the right things and I'm being obedient to God in my calling and I feel like I'm growing sort of in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, like I'm spending time in the Word, I'm doing my quiet times. (laughs) What's wrong with me? Have I done something wrong? Because all of this still feels really hard. Marriage is still hard sometimes. Work is frustrating and tiresome. I'm frustrated by Christians in the ministry, like church work is frustrating and difficult. And and I just began to kind of ask myself, is there something wrong with me? You know what I mean? And that's what really led to this kind of journey of like, maybe looking at all of the scripts that I'd been given of like, oh, you just find a job you love and you'll never work a day in your life, right? Like find your calling, be at the center of God's will and life will feel purposeful. Or marry, be equally yoked to a Christian spouse and a couple that prays together stays together. It kind of gave me this impression that if I did all these things, I'd be happy. I, I started to kind of 
untangle those scripts and really investigate where some of that messaging had come from, how much of it was biblical, how much of it was cultural, how much of it was sociological. And that's really what led to the writing of this book. And there's so much great information in it. Honestly, I kept being, especially with a lot of the statistics, like you said, you did a ton of research. And I will say, don't feel bad about the five years as you were talking. I was like, that's a journey. That is a journey of unpacking those thoughts in your mind and like understanding where they all came from. And you really opened my eyes for some of the things that we believe that just end up being cultural. They're not even biblical. We just do what we do because the way culture has changed for whatever reason. And so that just really opened my eyes. In the book, you have nine elements that you walk through. And I would love to just unpack some of those specific elements. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be selfish here. I would love to unpack the ones that really spoke to me. Please do. Yeah. I hope there's something in the book for everyone. You know what I mean? I tell people like, feel free to skip around because some of these might not have played as important role in your life, but there's got to be something here, I think, for everybody. Yeah, that's so true. You could really just specifically go to those certain chapters that are speaking to you. I read all the way through it, beginning to end, and so I loved it. But yeah, you could absolutely, absolutely do that. But I think you mentioned some of these. Um, One, I'd love to start off at work. Mm -hmm. So in the book, you say, when you experience the disappointment of frustrated labor, you are experiencing the heart of the curse and that you will never find the perfect job that nullifies this curse. Mm -hmm. And then you also go on to say, which is just loved this quote, to work is to be human in the garden of Eden. To be frustrated by work is to be human in the aftermath of the fall. Mm -hmm. And so I would love for you just to really explain more of your thoughts behind those quotes in that section of the book. Well, I'm so fascinated by the curse of Genesis 3 because I think a lot of times as Christians, when we think about the curse of, you know, that happened in the aftermath of the fall, we have these kind of internalized understandings and interpretations of it. And we think about like, well, it means, you know, a lot of my growing up, it was like, well, it means you're going to die and go to hell if you don't accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And we, we immediately think about that kind of more eschatological punishment and all of that. But it's really interesting what's actually spoken as being the curse, this kind of What is the burden of being human going to look like henceforth once we believed this lie that Satan tried to tell us about our lack, about saying that God was not trustworthy, right? And what is spoken is that there's going to be brokenness in your human relationships between the male and the female. There's going to be, um, with difficulty, you're going to reproduce and bring forth children. And with difficulty, you're going to try to produce fruit from the ground. And it is only by the sweat of your brow and the weariness of your arms that you're going to be able to produce fruit from the earth. It's not that work is cursed, but the ground of our labor is cursed. And I just think that that's really, really interesting to me because I don't think that we necessarily think of that as part of the human condition, that labor is going to be difficult because I feel like I was always given this impression, you know, modern 21st century America, we have thankfully a lot of autonomy and upward mobility when it comes to our work and when it comes to our labor. We have choices. We have endless choices actually on what we're going to do and what we're going to be and what we're going to major in in college and what jobs we're going to apply for. And so that kind of gives the impression, well, if I can just make the right choice, if I can find the thing I'm really good at and find the job that gives me meaning, then I'm going to be happy. Work, you know, find a job you love. You'll never work a day in your life. 
the truth is that that's an incredibly privileged position to be in, that most humans throughout history have not thought of work the same way we do. They thought of work as survival, as something they were maybe mandated to do by an overlord or a master. If your dad was a fisherman, you were a fisherman. If your dad was a merchant, you were a merchant. There's just not a whole lot of choice, but we have this incredible privilege of choice that gives us the impression that we can somehow control our outcomes and control our happiness by finding just the right job. And then when I did find that right job and it wasn't perfect, it was the curse of Genesis 3 that actually finally gave me this sense of freedom to say, no, no, this is describing my reality. It's describing accurately what it is that I'm experiencing. And that is that this is frustrating. And a lot of times I sow seeds and I reap thorns and thistles. And guess what? That's normal. That's what it means to be human. I've not failed. I've not made a bad choice. I'm not missing anything. I'm just human in the aftermath of the fall. Mm. I'd love to tie in calling into this as well. Cause I think work and calling, like for example, I feel like I am living part of my calling doing what I'm doing right now with Faith and Gather and the Faith Inspired Podcast. And so they kind of go hand in hand. And I think nowadays a lot of people put them together because they can go hand in hand. Other situations, no, it's just, it's separate. But this area was really, really eye-opening for me. So I just want to get your perspective on where calling comes into play with holy unhappiness. Yeah. Well, I'll go back to scripture and just say that, you know, when we see this word calling or called to something in scripture, most often it the word that's used has to do with naming someone and bestowing kind of an identity as a beloved child of God or as a minister of the gospel to someone. But it's also used more frequently to talk about characteristics and to which we are called to, uh, character qualities to which we are called. We are called to a living hope. We are called to peace. We are called to be ministers of reconciliation. It is very seldom that it's used to describe a particular task or vocation or job. There are certainly a couple instances where people are directly, the voice of God comes to someone directly and says, I'm calling you to go to Nineveh or I'm calling you to go to, you know, whatever this people group and do this thing for me. In the New Testament, it's very rare. But I think we have, I don't know, I just always got this messaging um, when I was growing up, thankfully not from my parents. I feel like my parents were like, hey, why don't you just do the character development thing? Don't worry so much about the specifics, but the larger evangelical subculture, I think, kind of instilled in me that God had this specific blueprint for my life, that he had this one thing, this one task that was mine to do. You know, God had a will and it had a center and I had to be at the center of God's will or else I'd be missing out on God's best for my life and I would miss out on my best life. And that just came with a lot of pressure. And again, it's a unique situation to be in because most Christians living faithfully before the Lord throughout history have not had those kind of choices. Their only option was to get up in the morning and do the thing that was in front of them and provide food for their family to survive and try to be carriers of this hope and carriers of this peace and carriers of this reconciliation. That was what how they viewed calling, not so much about position or job title or credentials or college major. And so once I kind of flipped my thinking on that, it gave me a lot of freedom to say, I don't have to have quite as much anxiety about discerning 
what is it specifically I should do? Should I be an author? Should I be an aid worker? Should I be on staff at church? Should I be a worship leader? Am I being obedient to God? It was creating all this choice anxiety and choice fatigue. And it turns out, I'm starting to believe, I don't think God really, it's not that God doesn't care. I don't think God is too preoccupied with what we do for our occupation. I think he's more concerned with the disposition by which we step into those occupations, whatever they may be. Hmm. So much to ponder on that again, because that's a changeable thought process, mm-hmm. you know, that I that I have. You know, there's a lot of weight to that on my end. And I think for other Christians too, especially if you've grown up in, you know, evangelical Pentecostal churches, you know, that has been ingrained in us. But I so I understand that and where you're coming from. And that's definitely like a journey that I need to go on with that thought process. And one that I have been on because just this wrestlingness of, you know, why why am I still unhappy if I'm doing certain things? Yeah. Or I see so many people thinking like, or talking about that they need to find their specific purpose or find their specific mm-hmm. calling. And they're so unhappy because of that. And it's become so much pressure on yeah. us. And I do still believe that God calls us to certain things like doing, yeah. you know, go to that person, speak to that person, uh-huh. mm-hmm. do this specific thing right now, mm-hmm. because you are the person that I called for that. But to have a one set out for your whole life, you know, that's so different. And in the book you talked about, there's a quote in here and it says, psychological researchers recently surveyed more than 8,000 people and found that those who indicated that they were searching for more meaning had lower levels of overall life satisfaction and happiness. In spite of the fact that modern Americans have unprecedented freedom of choice and extraordinary vocational Mm -hmm. mobility and unparalleled opportunities, we seem to be collectively uneasy and unhappy. Anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation are on the rise. And so that's something that I've been thinking about too. Like I just meet all these people and the stats on suicide are are going Mm -hmm. up for many reasons. But yeah, it's just eye-opening. It is. And and I I think a lot of it is just cultural. It's not just Christian subculture. It's the secular world at large. We live in a world where individualism is rampant, this idea that like you are your own unique individual. And as we move away from maybe a more communal identity and who you are within a family or a community, and and as we move away culturally from a belief or grounded rootedness in our identity coming from God as creator and the image that he bestows on us, we become kind of our own meaning makers. We become crafters of our own identity. And this is, this just permeates the self-help movement that you're, you know, the, I think it's Alan Noble who says that the the modern day hero's journey is self-discovery. You need to be true to yourself, discover who you truly are, um, listen to that internal voice within and create this life of meaning for yourself rather than derive it from the identity God has bestowed on you. So I think that also comes with a lot of pressures, this sense I have to prove to myself that I'm somebody, that I'm important, that I'm going to leave my mark rather than our mark coming from the image of God. But I understand, Erica, why it's a struggle for you, because I do think there's something about calling that matters. I don't think we need to abandon this idea altogether that God might have certain tasks for you to do. I like to think of it now more in terms of stewardship, that I think 
faithful stewardship of my giftings means that, okay, I have this freedom of choice, I have these options, and I have these gifts and experiences God has given me, how do I be a good steward of them? So if I'm a good speaker, it would be maybe a bad stewardship to step that down or ignore that or not step into that vocation. Or if I'm really great with children, or if I'm you know a great writer or music, whatever it may be, then how, how can I be a steward of this gift and use it to the glory of God? And stewardship comes with a little bit less pressure maybe to me than like trying to somehow figure out calling because it's about not so much about finding the right answer or the wrong answer, but just about using wisdom and discernment as you go. Oh, absolutely. I just visualize your hands fist clenched mm-hmm. or your hands open. Oh, perfect. You know, when you're a steward, your your hands are open and say, okay, God guide me. Yes. When your fists are clenched, it's like, okay, I've got this. This is my talent. This is my skill. This is how I'm going to use it. And so there's that pressure. And yeah, it's coming from everywhere. I think, you know, it's come from the church and now it's in our secular culture and we're all trying to find this purpose and this calling or whatever, whatever you want to call it. And that is creating just so much of this turmoil, yeah. I think, inside of people. And so to be able to let go, open hands and say, these are the things, I think it's really important to find out what you're good at. Mm-hmm. I think some people do kind of just, life just takes them yeah. and they are leaving those skills and talents yeah. on the floor and God wants them to pick them up and use them. Yeah. So figure that out, but really figure it out and then have open hands to be a steward of those and be okay where he leads. Like, don't try to figure out the one thing you're trying to, you have to do and like focus on that and just own it like a business. It's like, no, these are yours, Lord. Keep the hands open. Right. Then you can let things ebb and flow as life changes, right? So like I'm in a season where like a lot of my gifts and talents are kind of taking the back burner to the fact that I am in this season of parenting. It's true of my husband too. It's not just a female thing. We're both having to kind of lay down some of the things we think we're good at, things we'd like to pursue, because we have the stewardship of these two little lives and that matters. And so when it's like, I don't feel like I'm being unfaithful to my calling. I don't feel like I'm having to give up my dream. I'm just saying I'm flexing with what life has presented to me. That means if you end up spending a year in a cancer ward, or you end up spending two years caring for aging parents or caring for a child with a disability, you don't have to feel like you're missing out on your best life because you've somehow had to say goodbye to your calling. Like calling is sometimes whatever is in front of you. It's being faithful to the thing that God has placed before you, whatever that may be. And we ebb and flow as the seasons change. Yeah. And if God wants you back there, yes. he will make it in his timing to get you back there. Nothing's ever lost. I believe like he always that. has a plan. There's there's a great road for us. Yeah. You touched on parenting and motherhood. So that's one that I wanted to chat about too, because you know, you say how we assume that blessings arrive pain-free mm-hmm. and expect the blessings to reward us equal to the effort. Mm-hmm and be satisfied with our return on investment. And I'm laughing as I'm saying that because (laughs) if you're a mom, you totally know that is not true. I mean, we all get the moments of joy, but there's a lot of give Mm -hmm. and not a lot of take Mm -hmm. in, in being a mother. So what are some of the assumptions that we carry into motherhood? Gosh, so I'm going to test out a theory on you. I do sometimes wonder, <laughs> I do wonder if since like the advent of birth control, for example, it's kind of like, well, you you can choose whether or not you want to be a parent, like almost like having children's like a hobby. Like, well, if you chose this, then why don't you love it? Like we just kind of have this illusion 
that with all the choice and all the options that we have, that we kind of curate our lives, right, to put inputs of the things that we want. So it's like, well, I want to get married and I want this job and I'm going to do this college major. I'm going to join this church. I'm going to choose to have kids. And these are all things that I've chosen like out of a vending machine and they're all supposed to make me happy because I chose them rather than I think in generations past, like parenthood was just something that kind of happened to you. Like, you know, it was like a service for the good of humanity, I think, to raise another human. And so then when it's hard and it's difficult, maybe it's not as surprising to us because it's like, yeah, this is an act of service. This isn't necessarily this like happy accoutrement that I'm adding to my life to try to make life feel more fulfilling or meaningful. I don't know if that's making sense at all. I just think we have these expectations that like motherhood is going to make us happy and just bring us joy. And when it turns out caring for another human being is exhausting and tiresome and requires self-sacrifice, we feel really, really disoriented. Yeah, I'm totally tracking with you, honestly. I I can see that because we do get to pick and choose nowadays yeah. with all of our choices. And like you said, they don't they didn't have a choice. And it actually was something that they did so, you know, their kids could labor or they could, you know, inherit land <laughs> totally. or things could happen. It wasn't because of, you know, I look at okay, my husband and I, we're ready to have babies now. Mm-hmm. You know, we have good incomes and we feel in a good spot. We've lived a good portion of our adulthood life and, you know, had fun as singles and now like married without children. And now just seems like the good time to have kids. And then your life gets rocked. Yeah. And you're like, what? I mean, I think back to the first six months of having a child, I was going through some stuff just because the birth was a little rough on me. But my husband, I remember, you know, my reality changed the day I got pregnant. Yeah. yeah. His reality changed when our son was born. And the first six months were so hard on him because he really had to give up that old life and he didn't expect it to be that way. You know, you you don't know until you're in it. And so there was a lot of unhappiness. And I think I still struggle with different things like, you know, giving up certain aspects Mm -hmm. of my dreams right now and just understanding that my role is to be a mom and that can be really, really hard. I also think, you know, you talk about it in the book about just the the wondering like what I'm doing wrong. And I Mm -hmm. will totally be sad if I miss this part because this for me was like, oh my gosh, she's got it. She gets me. Like this is actually it. You say, sometimes I wonder what it would be like in this competitive productivity driven culture if we did not see our exhaustion as a sign of failure or inadequacy. Mm -hmm. What if instead we saw it as a sign that you've given your all to an endeavor that you've put your whole heart into? Mm -hmm. It's not necessarily an indication of your inability to balance life's demands or work inefficiently. To show up for your children in your imperfection and in your depletion is enough. And I love that so much because that is the conversation that I have with so many of my friends and women that I'm coaching just about why am I so exhausted and trying to find the self-help books or the right Mm -hmm. schedule or the right podcasts that can guide you through it? You know, just trying to grab all these tips and tricks to like going back to what is wrong with me? There's nothing wrong with you. Motherhood is hard. Life is hard. And just to understand that. And because I think you start thinking those things, what is wrong with me? You know, I should 
be better at this. I should be more organized. I should do X, Y, Z. And then that puts even more pressure on you and yep. more pressure on you. And then you get even more exhausted from just having that mental game in your head. Yeah. And yeah, it's just all too much. And so in the book, I was like, oh my gosh, like just be exhausted and know that you did your work. And I was reading in Ephesians today and it talked about how to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Mm -hmm. And I think we are making the most out of every opportunity when we are mothers. You know, if you're a working mom, you're make make the most out of that and make the most out of your mom. And at the end of the day, if you're depleted, like, yes, rest is very important. Mm -hmm. Make sure you get a little bit of self-care and get some sleep and get rest. But like, it's okay because that's life. Right. It's this kind of, I was talking to Kayla Craig about this and she was saying it's this myth of balance, this idea that like if we just life hack our way to ease and comfort that, yeah, if if I'm tired, if I'm stressed, it must be because I'm doing something wrong because there's got to be a hack out there for this that I haven't discovered yet. And it's like, there's just no hack for being human. There's no hack for being a mom. (laughs) It's going to be tiring. It's going to be exhausting. And That goes for a lot of things, particularly caregiver roles. There's always going to be exhaustion associated with that. And I'm delighted to hear that resonated with you because as I typed that, I was like, is anybody going to get what I'm saying? (laughs) So I'm so glad that you got it. Cool, cool. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I like was highlighting it. I'm like, I have to send this to my girlfriends. And at that time, your book wasn't out. So I was like, I can't do this yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's encouraging to hear. And I I think the other thing about mother, this is why we struggle to talk about it, is because, right, it's exhausting. It's wearisome. You feel like you're kind of stripped of all your freedom in some ways. And yet it's also like one of the most amazing, delightful, invigorating experiences of your life. And I think we just, the human brain just loves to put things in categories and say, this is either good or it's bad. If it's good, I'm going to choose it. If it's bad, I'm going to avoid it or figure out a way around it. And it's like parenting, just like marriage, I think, just like work is one of those things that it comes with a lot of cost and it comes with a lot of rewards. And we have to hold those two things in tension. Or a, a friend was saying to me last night, maybe let's not say hold it in tension. Maybe let's say hold it in union together. It's the complete picture is to say, this is hard and this is good. It's just both things. I think that's a perfect segue into the next one that I want to dive into, which can be super uncomfortable for people. And up until this past couple months, something I wouldn't really want to talk about or understand. And so that's why your book really hit me at the perfect time. And that topic really is suffering. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it can be good and it can be bad at the same time. And in this world, we want to avoid suffering at all costs. I mean, and we can. There are a million different distractions Mm -hmm. for us to be able to avoid our sufferings and our discomfort. And there's always an easy button to be hitting to like, okay, I don't want to feel this way. So like, how can I find that? And that's just not the way we were made. And in the book, you talk about like, we do a disservice to our pain when we try to minimize it or make it go away. And what hit me was you said, we rob it of its dignity. And so I'd love for you to just really explain that thought and and suffering with the good and the bad with it. So the reason it took me so long to write this book was not just because of the research, but also because my life got really significantly interrupted when I was, you know, in my mid-30s and went through a series of pregnancy losses and my only sibling passed away very suddenly. To say it is catastrophic is not even sufficient. 
It is the atom bomb that went off in my life. And it always sounds weird to tell people that I was disappointed in my experience of grief. <laughs> it's like, what? what did you expect grief to be a party? No, but I did think that because I was a Christian and because I had this sound theology of suffering, that somehow the torment of it would be alleviated, like rather quickly. Like I thought that God would make very clear pretty early on the silver linings, the, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? You know, that's kind of what you're tacitly told. Everything happens for a reason. So he's going to make clear to you the redemptive purpose in your pain. And when none of that happened, when I prayed for the peace that passes understanding and I did not feel peace, I still just felt anger, anxiety, sadness, torment. I thought I've failed. Like either I've failed or God has failed or something's wrong. But then going back to the Bible, and reading the Bible as a griever was so eye-opening because you see that God doesn't gloss over pain at all. Like one-third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And yes, they are rooted in the truth of God's faithfulness. And there's always this verbal reminder. Yes, my soul's in torment. How long will you leave me this way? I am a worm, no longer a man. My bed is wet with my tears. <laughs> yet you are still God, yet you are still faithful. Our, our grief is informed by the truth, but it is not minimized by it. And I think that like seeing even the examples in scripture where God grieves, like God shows us how to to grieve, to wail, to lament. Lament is a form of worship. It's not an aberration. It's an honored, treasured form of worship that Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, to me, is one of the most profound and mysterious and beautiful passages in all of Scripture because Jesus, when faced with the prospect of the cross, isn't saying like, well, everything happens for a reason and where God closes a door, he's opening a window. You know, he's saying like, please, remove this cup from me. Don't make me do this. God arguing with God <laughs> over the fate of humanity because he was so in dread of the cross, but yet he was faithful to the path of suffering for the joy that was set before him. And what did he cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So to know that Christ, obviously Christ had a well-constructed theology of suffering. He knew the truth. He knew the joy set before him, and yet he indulged that emotive expression of his pain, so much so that he sweated drops of blood. I can do that too. I can name how horrific grief is. I can name how hard this is. I can name how long this journey is and how arduous and upsetting it is. And that doesn't mean that I'm not holy or doesn't mean that I'm doing something wrong. It doesn't mean I'm a failure. And that to me was game-changing, life-changing, and so liberating. Totally. Totally. I have my own experience just recently, and my eyes were opened to that grieving process mm -hmm. and just that that pain process and that torment that you were saying. It just felt like torment and, and asking the Lord, like, why? Why am I feeling this way? And literally, I believe it was the Holy Spirit was like, this is Jesus yeah. in the garden. Yes. You know, he experienced the same thing. And so like you, I'm like, well, why aren't you taking it away? Yeah. That's not what he has for us mm -hmm. in that moment, you know, but he has that story and his example of his life and death to show us that like, I'm in it with you. Yeah. I understand this pain that you have. And in life, God can create a lot of that mm -hmm. for good. You know, it can come out of good. And I think we always, we learn from things. Yeah but it may not be a very long time until we get there yeah. or we may not get there until we 
get there yeah. in heaven. And so, you know, there is good at the end, but it's not in the way that I think we've been painted this beautiful mm-hmm. picture of, hey, just lean on the Lord and like he'll take away your worries. He will, but you are going to be on your hands and knees time and time and time again, just like praying for him to give you peace. Yeah. And then when he does, man, it feels so different than what it would have if he gave it to you right away. But to think that as Christians, we just aren't going to have suffering. It's just, that's just a lie that we've been fed and that I think leads to more unhappiness. Yeah. Like, okay, Lord, and we're questioning, like, I'm told that you're supposed to take this away. And then now I'm questioning your goodness. Yeah. And that's that's not at all what the Bible tells us and that what God wants for us. Like, that's a part of the fall. Yeah, We have the suffering and yeah, so I'm so glad that you do address it and because it's a reality that's just glazed over and we need to address it. Yeah. Well, and you know, that famous scripture passage, I, I can't remember the reference right now. I, I used to do sword drills and now I'm, I'm bad at references. <laughs> but, it, you know, the one that says it comfort one another with the comfort you've been given by God. And I used to think that comfort meant psychological serenity. You know what I mean? But I found this dusty old commentary at the Appalachian State Library, that really unpacked those verses. And he said, this is not a great translation. The better translation for that word comfort is the word fortification. It's not really meant to be like a palliative. It's meant to be a strengthener. And it's the same word that's used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a strengthener. So it's not that God always takes away the burden, but he gives us the muscles we need to carry it. And that reframing is huge for me because it's like, okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be just as hard as it was yesterday, but God's going to give me the strength, the fortification, aka the comfort to put one foot in front of the other and keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. And my therapist, you know, I was talking through this issue with her and you know, the verse of casting your burdens. Well, cast to me, as she explained it, you know, in this world, I just think cast like a little, you know, rod, a little rod and reel, just cast. And she's like, back in the day when the Bible was written, think about the nets. It took like two or three men or whatever to like literally cast it over the boat. She's like, it's going to take everything in you to cast your burdens on him. And it's like, Wow, you know, like casting your burdens isn't even easy, you know, like that's a hard part, you know, just like you have to literally use all your strength and he's going to strengthen you to do that. But like, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of energy and like, we just need to be okay with knowing that suffering is human Yeah, and Jesus suffered too. Yeah. That's so beautifully put. I love that image. And yeah, God honors our sorrow by stepping into humanity with us and suffering himself. And that's the thing about Christianity I keep coming back to is that it's such a beautiful God that we have that was willing to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. Oh my gosh. I could talk to you for hours, for hours, for hours, but I would love to just close us out by having you tell us where we can find your book and then also where to connect with you on social media, your website, Mm -hmm. whatever that may be. Well, you can find my book um, most anywhere books are sold. And my website is amandaheldopelt.com. And I'm on Twitter and Instagram, mostly Instagram. Twitter is a little scary, I think, sometimes. So I'm mostly on Instagram (laughs) under the same name, Amanda Held Opelt. 
Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And then I just have one more question for you. And you said that you listened, so I'm sure you know this is coming, (laughs) but I just want to know what brought you joy today. Yeah. Oh, and I love that question because I think one of my biggest fears about the writing of this book was that people would think that I'm just so obsessed with the experience of sadness that, you know, I think God doesn't want us to be happy or that we shouldn't be happy at all, that that's fickle and shallow. But I think we are made to experience the full spectrum of life. And I think, gosh, God wants us to find delight in things. Why else would he have made food taste good and sunset so beautiful and the flowers so diverse? Like, I think that finding delight in those simple things is one of the keys to the blessed life, I guess. Um, And so one of the simple things I'm finding pleasure and delight in today is we have a blueberry farm near our house and it is high season for blueberry picking. And so um, I spent the day uh, on Tuesday picking blueberries and uh, tonight I am going to make a pie. And that is literally bringing me so much joy. today to just take delight in the fruit of my labor, I guess. And I was sweating a lot while I was picking those blueberries. (laughs) Speaking of work being cursed, the ground of our labor being cursed, it was hard work and I'm going to enjoy that blueberry pie. Yeah. Reward for your labor for sure. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Amanda. I appreciate you. And I just appreciate that you were bold to tackle this subject. And I'm so glad that you did. I know so many others will benefit from it. Thank you, Erica. It's great talking to you. Thanks for all your wisdom and insight too. What a thought-provoking episode. Amanda's insights on embracing holy unhappiness and finding God in unexpected places have truly challenged my perspective. Let's lean into our pain and seek God's presence. For there's beauty in discovering holiness, even in our unhappiness. I'm so grateful you spent time today listening to this episode. If you were encouraged by what you heard, share the love with other women you know and send them the link to this episode. Just think how many more women could be blessed with faith-inspired encouragement. Love and prayers, Erica. Congrats on saying yes to a life filled with joy and Jesus. If you want more, head to faithinspiredpodcast.com for show notes and links to all the resources mentioned in today's episode. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast platform to stay faith-inspired. And remember, faith is not just a belief, it's a lifestyle.